Mark Yarhaus is a professor at Wheaton Bible College, and he works exclusively in the area of uh, sexuality and Christianity, works with a lot of people in the LGBTQ community. Well, at one point uh, during his life, Mark was invited to be part of a government commission in Washington that was looking at this subject, and he was the only Christian on the panel. And at one of their panel meetings, uh, there was some conversation going on, and one of the gay activists that was in the room was kind of bemoaning the fact that a lot of people that he knew, a lot of gay people he knew, were actually becoming part of church families. And, uh, and this is the way he put it. He said, he said, these are our people, and we're losing them to the Christians. And now, Mark Yarhaus didn't say anything out loud in the meeting, but, but he was sitting there, and he was thinking, wait a minute, what do you mean our people? A lot of those people you're talking about grew up in faith communities. They grew up as part of the church. They were our people, and, and, and we lost them. Now, we've shared this uh, statistic uh, a couple of times during the series. Just want to bring it up to you one more time, that 86% of LGBTQ people were raised as a part of a faith community. Now, sadly, the research done by Andrew Mirren in his book, Us Versus Us, shows that not only were they raised in a faith community, but when they came out, when they made public the fact that they were gay or trans or bi, they left the faith community. They didn't feel welcome there anymore. But here's the good news. 76% of them, three out of four, would love to get reconnected with the church, with their faith, with a faith community. They'd love to feel welcomed and a part of a faith community again. Folks, they were our people once, and they can be our people again, part of our family of God. And we started this series the first week with this verse from John chapter 1. It's kind of the theme verse for the whole series. This idea that when Jesus came into this earth, he didn't come bringing the law or judgment or condemnation. He came full of grace and truth. And we talked about that in grace, that grace, that incredible unmerited favor of God that he freely gives to us. And, and how the truth John is talking about here is really just the truth that God does love us. And the truth about what God has done for our lives through Jesus. From his fullness, we're told, we have received grace upon grace. Not law upon law or judgment upon judgment, but grace upon grace. And last week, Pastor Nick was here with you online and he addressed this question. Well, well what about this? Do, does, do we believe that being gay or trans or bi is a sin? And Nick helped us wrestle through this idea. Think about the fact that, that that's not really the right question to be asking. There's a, there's a fundamental flaw in that question, and that's how we define the word sin. You see, if, if being a Christian is about knowing what's wrong and what's right, and then not doing what's wrong and doing what's right, if that's what it means to be a Christian, then this would be a very important question. But that's not what it means to be a Christian. Being a Christian isn't about avoiding doing wrong things and doing only right things. Being a Christian is about understanding that at my core, I'm a sinner. That all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's not just about what I do, it's about who I am. I was born in sin, David wrote. He said he was sinful from the moment his mother conceived him. And, and so it's understanding that not only have all of us sinned, but all of us have been set free by God's love and God's grace. And that's where we have to start. But now this week, we want to turn our attention to this verse. This is from 1 John chapter 3, where John writes this. 
He says, see or behold, look what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are, he says. I want to look at the rest of that verse with you in a little bit, but let's start right there with this idea that we are called children of God by God, and and because he calls us that, that's what we are. What if I ask you the question, what if I said, who are you? Now, I would answer that question in lots of different ways. Who are you? Well, I'm dad. Or uh, who are you? Well, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a golfer. Or who are you? I'm, I'm a pastor. Or maybe I'd say I'm your pastor. In a little bit, if somebody says, who are you? I'll say, I'm a retired guy, right? To some people, if they said, who are you? I'd say, I'm your friend. You see, we have, we have lots of different identities, don't we? Lots of different ways to answer this question, who are you? And, and how we answer that question really has something to say about how we view our lives. You see, the, the truth is, there's this tendency we have as human beings, I would argue it's how God made us, to take one of those identities and, and use it as the lens through which we view all of our other identities, how we view the rest of our lives. Let, let me give you an example of that. I have a good friend who uh, was a senior pastor of a large church um, like Trinity. And uh, for many, many years, his main identity was as senior pastor of that church. It became the identity through which he viewed all the other things in his life. And, uh, and he shared with me once that when he retired, when all of a sudden he wasn't a senior pastor anymore, he, he, didn't, he didn't know what to do with himself. It was like everything in his life has changed. His, his marriage felt different. His kids felt different. His hobbies felt different. His whole life felt different because he realized he had viewed them all through this lens, through this identity. Let me give you another example of that. I think a pretty dramatic example of that. One of the identities I would say is, if you said, who are you? I'd say, well, I'm Betty's husband. I had a guy in one of my churches that um, he was very dedicated to his wife. He wasn't Betty. She had a different name. Um, But if you'd ask him who he was, that's what he would say, that he was her husband. It was his primary source of identity. It was the, the, the lens through which he viewed everything else in his life. And then kind of dramatically, she had a stroke and she passed away. And he didn't know what to do with himself. And, and I don't mean he just didn't know how to cook dinner for himself or take care of himself. He, he literally didn't know what to do with himself. He told me he didn't go to family gatherings anymore because he didn't know who he was at that family gathering without her. He stopped coming to church. He, he, he hardly left the house. He, he, everything in his life had changed because his main identity, his lens through which he viewed everything else was gone. He died three months later. Now, he had been perfectly healthy when his wife passed away, but it was like his life was gone. Folks, what is that lens for you that if you're not careful, becomes your primary source of identity, the thing through which you view everything else in your life. What should it be? Well, again, back to 1 John 3. Here's your identity, John says. God, the Father, 
has given you the kind of love that makes you his child. And that is what you are. At our core, our primary source of identity needs to be that we are God's children. I'm a child of God, and, and, and that's the lens through which I should view my job. I'm not just a pastor. I'm a child of God who happens to be a pastor. You see, then when I'm not a pastor anymore, I'm still a child of God, right? Or um, my relationships. I'm, I'm not just a husband. I'm a child of God who is a husband. I'm a child of God who's also a dad. I'm a child of God who's also a golfer. I'm a child of God who happens to be male and straight. But notice it's child of God that comes first. And because that comes first, it's going to change how I view all those other identities in my life and how I behave in all those identities in my life. Now, folks, here's the, here's the, the sad truth that for many people in the LGBTQ community, they've been told either intentionally or unintentionally, they've been told for years that their primary source of identity is in their sexuality. It's their primary source of identity is, is in being gay or in being trans or in being bi or queer. And, and, and because they've been told that, because uh, they've uh, experienced people who believe that and see that, again, maybe not intentionally, that aspect of their lives is the aspect through which they view everything else in their life. And when that starts to change, it, it's not received well by others in the gay community. This is a, a columnist in the New York Times, Frank Bruni, and uh, he's gay. And in, in a column I read that he wrote, he was bemoaning the fact that the gay community in New York was kind of losing its identity. So it used to be four out of five people that lived there were gay. He said, now it's become all gentrified and there's all these straight people that live there and it's become kind of trendy. But, but look at what he said. He said, gay tells you about a person's lusts and loves, but it used to tell you more about his or her boldness, irreverence, independence. It connotated a particular journey and a pronounced struggle, and it had its own soundtrack. Not so anymore. What, what Frank is wringing his hands over is people in the gay community that no longer see being gay as their primary source of identity in their lives. Folks, our job as a church is to first and foremost show God's unconditional love and grace to people who are gay. To, to help them know beyond a doubt that they can be fully known and truly loved because that's how God loves them. He, he knows them fully and he, he still fully and truly loves them. And, and that's our first job as, as a church family is to show that kind of love to others. But then we have some work to do. And that work to do is to help them, and by the way, ourselves and others, to help them come to know and realize that their primary identity is as a child of God. And, and, and knowing that they are God's child will change how they view everything else in their life, including their sexuality. Now, now the challenge with that is, is this. Going on in that verse in 1 John 3 that we looked at at the beginning today, he says, beloved, we are God's children now. In other words, he says that's already a reality in our lives. 
But then he says, and what we will be has not yet appeared. In other words, I am God's child. I just don't always look like it. I don't always act like it. I don't always live like it. It's a journey. And when does that journey end? He says, we know that when he appears, we will be like him. In other words, when Jesus comes again, when we all get to heaven, he says, then, then we'll really look like it. Folks, knowing I'm a child of God and making that my primary source of identity doesn't guarantee that overnight I just start looking like Jesus all the time. That's why our mission as a church is that we want to help people be more like Jesus. We want to help people grow bit by bit into their identity to look more and more like the children of God that God has already made us. But it is a journey. And it takes time. It takes literally until Jesus comes again. And and fortunately, there's another verse in the Bible that says God is really patient with us while that is going on. That, uh, that, that he, is, he desires all of us to come to repentance. And so he's patient um, w- with us. And, and by the way, notice that our repentance um, doesn't preclude God's love and grace. It follows God's love and grace. In other words, we don't have to repent of our sin before we're forgiven. We're already forgiven. And because we're forgiven, repentance is produced in our life. He's patient with us. And we need to be patient with one another. Now, something else someone asked me about was this. They said, I was taught that in, in Martin Luther's explanation to the, to the sixth commandment, he said this, that, that, that we should fear and love God so that we lead a sexually pure and decent life. H- how do we do that exactly? Well, again, let's go back to 1 John chapter 3. He, he says, you're a child of God because God has declared you that. And he says, even though we know we're God's children now, we know we don't always look like it. And that's a journey. It's going to take time until he appears again. And then he says this at the end. He says, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. In other words, how do you lead a pure life? Through hope. Again, it's, it's not because we're able to do certain things. It's because we're able to hope in the one who does things in us and will eventually give us all we need in heaven. Now, I've been using this quote every week during the series, depending on where I was preaching. And so I want to share it with you online as we wrap up the series this week. Again, Mark Yarhouse, who I referenced at the beginning of the message, I was watching him speak and, uh, and, and this is what he had to say. I think it's just incredibly profound. He says they, and again, he's talking about people in the LGBTQ community, maybe especially those who have been hurt by the church over the years. He says this, he says, they will never accept that they have a loving father in heaven if they don't experience that love from me, from us, from our church family. Folks, I pray that we would be a church family that shows God's unconditional love and grace and that helps everyone live like the child of God that he has called them to be, but recognizes that that's a journey and is patient and and we're we're not all going to get there until Jesus comes again. Would you pray with me? Lord God, um, just have a simple prayer to pray today. Thank you for your love and grace. 
Help me share that love and grace with others, with all. In your name we pray. Amen.